You're listening to a Monster Kid Podcast. <laughs> we interrupt this broadcast to bring you this special message. How's it going, eh? Today's show on the Monster Kid Podcast Network is a classic. Hosted by two comedic geniuses who've watched way too much North American cinema from the 21st century. Mike Pisacano and Anthony Cilio. Entitled Cinemarketing, this podcast chronicles the heroic adventures of two latter-day consumers of film and the marketing surrounding them. Or, to use the correct 20th century terminology, losers. We hope you give it three thumbs up. Hello and welcome to a very exciting crossover episode of Cinemarketing and the Gory Picture Show. I'm Lewis, here with my co-host. I'm Brandon. And we've got the Cinemarketing boys. Introduce yourselves. Hello and welcome to Cinemarketing. The trailers may have lied to you, but we won't. I'm Mike. And I'm Anthony. And we needed some help for this one. We needed to come in. We needed to join our forces together yes. in order to be able to uh, to talk about. It is currently May 7th, 2022. We started playing for this episode what back in february right mm -hmm. yeah so like three yeah, four months so. now and we definitely needed to pair up because this movie doesn't have any marketing no. so. <laughs> so we have to preface like this is a very odd movie for us to do for this show it's like what what significant about this movie marketing wise well the reason why we're doing this episode is because we were gifted uh, an opportunity to interview jackie neiman jones who was one of the actors from manos the hands of fate she was the little girl debbie and she's been you know on the the circuit just like you know promoting and talking about this franchise and this movie and her involvement in it and we each both me and Lewis and Brandon each got an interview with her that we're going to be putting as a part of this episode. So that's going to be like the main meat of these episodes is if you want to listen to my interview with Jackie, listen to it on the Cinemarketing feed. If you want to listen to Lewis and Brandon's, listen to it on their feed. They're going to be two completely different types of interviews because they're going to talk to her more about what their show is about, like, you know, schlocky, low budget B movies. And my interview is a little bit more about the marketing side and but also some of the backstory of the movie and like it's you know yeah <laughs> the point is listen to both episodes listen to both interviews you can go to uh just look up the gory picture show on whatever podcast service you have and if you were one of our listeners go to cinemarketing and and listen to their version of it you'll hear a different interview although this preamble will be exactly the same yeah. probably and i imagine we'll probably link them the, in, in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Each one, yeah. Synergy, yeah. And also, we would like to you know, also give just a, a big shout out to Jackie Neiman Jones for being on both of our shows, for allowing us to do these yeah. interviews with her, talking and to us people with no expertise at all. Oh yeah, oh, uh, yeah. except for Brandon. <laughs> Brandon has expertise. You're a communications doctor, so yeah. But my PhD isn't in schlocky movies, and <laughs> well, we did communicate with her. We did. <laughs> yeah. We did. Yeah, somewhat effectively. <laughs> <laughs> so one person with expertise. Keyword somewhat. And shout out to uh, Liam from uh, what is it? I help make that. Yep. He so uh, our friend yeah Liam Higgins uh, also goes by Kevin has uh, was able to hook us up with this interview and 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 also in return I was on an episode of his show of I helped make that where he interviews people who were involved in the creative process of making movies. I was on uh, an episode where we interviewed uh, Alex Grade who or Alex. 
Gradette, who he, he was uh, a production assistant on Ice Age. So we interviewed him about that movie and that should be going up sometime soon as well. So it's like we're starting a cinematic universe here. Yeah. He's all these crossovers. My God. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the multiverse. Oh, God. Um. Louis Otero in the multiverse of madness. That's right. <laughs> I saw the movie. Um, yeah, let's uh, also let's, also if before we go, let's just uh, give a shout out to Jackie and her her Etsy page where she she does a lot of yeah. promotion for Manos. She wrote a book. Uh, which we'll also probably be talking about in like, you know, the cinema marketing stuff, wrote a book called uh, Growing Up with Manos, The Hands of Fate, where she discusses her experience uh, as a child being in the movie and then like her growth with it. I've already ordered uh, a copy of the book, so it'll be probably coming my way soon. Um, You could uh, pick this up on her Etsy, which she promotes in the uh, in the interviews as well. So you can uh, find them there. And she also does artwork from Manos. uh, And she she also teaches like an art class, like a like a Manos art class which is pretty dope actually yeah yeah and, and you know what like this this movie does have like legit hardcore fans i don't think any of them are on this podcast right now uh, um, no. i don't think any of us were particularly taken by this film uh correct me if i'm wrong guys yeah i mean we we watched this movie all on a whim i'd never seen this movie before i just kind of had heard about it in the ether as like the worst movie ever made um and i'm sure that that's probably you guys i'm sure lewis you probably have you seen this before because I, I saw feel- the uh the mst3k episode before like long enough ago where i i didn't really remember it and then i i mainly remember the movie because of a reference in how i met your mother yes yeah, um, so we'll, we'll talk about uh, that later on also yeah. but uh yeah I, I guess let's jump into it guys how is this movie marketed well all right <laughs> it let's, wasn't let's start at the beginning so man of the hands of fate is directed by harold p warren starring harold p warren Tom Neiman, John Reynolds, Diana Adelson, and Jackie Neiman Jones. Uh, it was released by Sun City Films and the taglines for Manos, The Hands of Fate. The first one reads, it's shocking. It's beyond your imagination. Accurate. True. <laughs> it, it is. I, I couldn't believe that this was the movie. Um, and then we've got a cult of weird, horrible people who gather beautiful women only to deface them with a burning hand. Seems a little too yeah, that's just oddly specific. What happens in the movie? That's, that's the synopsis. That's yeah. the synopsis. <laughs> the log line. That's and then reminding me about what happened in the movie because I don't remember. <laughs> and then the last one. This is my favorite one. No one seated the last 10 minutes. We defy you. To guess the ending and ask you not to divulge it. <laughs> what? I, as if this is, dude, I saw the movie and I couldn't tell you what happens at the end. I, I sat through it. <laughs> I, I think I've watched it like maybe four times prepping for this episode. Oh. I can tell you nothing about this film. Uh, <laughs> I think I blocked it out. I hate it. I watched it for the second time for me. I watched it with you at the Mystery Science Theater and we realized we were like, we didn't need to do this. No. Like, it's not like it's, it's one of those movies that's so bad. Like, even the mystery science theater people couldn't really add anything to it i feel like like there's like some good riffs here and there but yeah i mean for the most part you're still just watching a real boring goddamn movie like it's the one line i liked from them was the part at the end when the cops are like you know raiding the place and the one guy says is somebody out here making a bad movie (laughs) (laughs) oh boy their moments yeah it's just so dull and it's just incompetently made like you can tell i mean a lot of this movie looks like footage from a family vacation a lot of driving (laughs) shots and trees and the music there's two things about this movie that particularly get under my skin and that's well i hate the music and I hate Torgo, and I hate when they're both together. Yeah. <laughs> the music yeah. and Torgo. 
I told I told Mike a lot of this music is uh the composer's pet spider got on the keyboard and just fucking <laughs> crawled all over it. <laughs> Yeah. It's like a non-soundtrack. It's it's like someone trying not to score a movie. It, it doesn't sound... It, it's unearthly. I don't know. It, it's not it's like okay. A, it's like an open mic night at a jazz cafe when someone like, brings their little Casio. flute and trumpets. Yeah, their little Casio keyboard and stuff. <laughs> like there's, And I've never seen this before on a Wikipedia page, but there on the movie's page, there's a little box where you can play Torgo Suite. And it's nine seconds of that little repeating pattern that you were just <laughs> making with your mouth. And I'm like, I want to kill myself. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. The, the composer said, like, uh, I could be Mark Mothersbaugh. No, you no, you can. No, you fucking can. It's in 1966 before yeah, Mark Mothersbaugh was even alive. Before he was a twinkle in his father's Devo balls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, that was uh, the the hint at the end of uh, our last episode that I put, because there's no trailer for this movie. This movie didn't have a trailer. And and I look up Man of the Hands of Fate trailer thinking I'm to find something and all of it is like fan made stuff so I'm like I have nothing what can I do so I just got a little bit of the music and that is the ending of the episode I helped edit that episode uh, and when I heard the clip he put in for for the trailer I almost threw up laughing (laughs) I was like no one will ever ever guess what this fucking uh, movie that we're about to to talk about it because I mean yeah that it's bad it's a bad score but it's also like not recognizable it's not like so astronomically terrible that like it would stick in your head it's just uh unpleasant it's it's, as I would say it's an extremely poopy movie (laughs) thank you thank you Um, TM TM. the one the one poster that I saw has all of those the the three taglines that you were talking about Mike and stylistically, like it looks intriguing, like the well, we're probably going to talk about this later, but the treatment of the the title of the movie, like mm. with the stylized hands and stuff. Yeah, the logo into cool. it. Yeah, the logo looks pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think we brought this up with uh, Jackie in our interview. Like there is the only time that the movie is like visually like palatable is when it's just the shot of the master with his robe. And you, you know, he, you have him on the black background. I'm like, yeah. That, that looks even, cool. Even when we watched it, I said, this is a cool shot. Yeah, I can understand. I can see like how they were, she was able to make art out of it also yeah. as well. Yeah. It's like, but but also I, I also said to you, I was like, we'll get into later how there's like, you know, more sequels and stuff that were made previously. But I, I was thinking, I was like, is do you think that there's like a possibility? I feel like there is like the skeleton of an idea to be able to remake this movie as like an elevated A24 horror movie, like kind of like 100 percent. Yeah. yeah. Robert Eggers. Yeah, like I'm imagining that or like the remake of Suspiria, like something like that, that that I could feel like this movie could probably be reinterpreted as. I want to see this, but I want to see Trent Reznor do this, do the score. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) By the way, can we do we mention the fact that the movie's literally called Hands, the Hands of Fate? Yeah, that's true, too. Because manos means hands in Spanish. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And also uh, that means the guy who they refer to as manos his name is his hands. name is hands. It's Mr. Yeah. Hands. Mr. Hands. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this movie's bad. It is billed as the worst movie of all time. We know that that is not true no. because we've covered Wicked World on this show and it is so much worse. Yeah. Than yeah. I was about I can name like five worst movies off the top of my head. Yeah. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But I want to get to the very uh, small truncated critical reception for this movie. The movie 
movie has 15 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. All are negative, so it is a 0% movie. It has no critics consensus, and there are no reviews on Metacritic. This is a step away. This movie's a step away from Lost Media. I guarantee you, if it was not for Mystery Science Theater, this movie would be Lost Media. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and honestly, it kind of was. If you listen to Jackie in the interview talk about like how this movie was just lost for decades until Mystery Science Theater kind of discovered it out of nowhere, and then that's when she, as a as like you know, who was involved with the movie, was reminded that it that it was real, that it existed, and that people had seen it. So that is also. I think kind of where this movie's like reputation, where it's like resurgence really starts yeah. is because of mystery science theater. Like, cause again, we looked at marketing from the time. There's no, there was no interviews. There's no publicity. There was like one premiere screening in Texas when they premiered the movie. And she has a funny story talking about how they were promoting that along the way. So you can listen to that in at least my interview. I don't know if she talked to you guys yeah, about you it. You know what? You gotta listen to both interviews. If you want one, you gotta get both stories. We, yeah. we did not compare Collect notes. Yeah. Yeah, we did not compare notes before doing this. So you gotta, you know, yeah. listen to both interviews for it's, Jackie's collect them all. Story. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> it is free. We do do a free show. We don't even have ads. You yeah. know, it's like really free. I mean, you haven't heard us talk about Manscaped once. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real though, if they if so one of these companies, I'll sell out. I don't. Yeah, no, in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, but that's not happening for us. Um, <laughs> so so now this movie was made on a budget of nineteen thousand dollars, and because it only had like one premiere screening, too high. That's too high. <laughs> in in nineteen sixty six, buddy. Also, like that's that's too much. You could buy a house for that much in nineteen sixty six. And that was mostly, I'm sure, just for film stock. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they definitely didn't spend it on the music or the actors. <laughs> well, yeah, because the, the actors costume. Because this movie was the... acted and made by like one family. Exactly. <laughs> so they didn't spend yeah. it on any of that. I wouldn't surprise you if they spent it on film stock and blow. Probably. <laughs> this has to be like fueled by drugs, right? In some way or another. Were they on weed? <laughs> what are you? What are you? The guys who was sitting behind us and everything everywhere all at once? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So this movie did have a couple of sequels, but way later on in its lifespan, like the movie, the original movie came out in 1966. These sequels were not made until 2018. So the first sequel that we kind of have uh, that was kind of in production was called Manos in the Search for Valley Lodge. And that was a canceled project that and I really regret not asking Jackie about what happened with that movie. But it, she seems to be a lot more involved with these later uh, sequels, um, because apparently that one it cites like creative differences for why uh, the project ended up being scrapped. But in 2018, there were two sequels uh, that were made uh, and released. One is Manos Returns, and then the other one is a prequel called Manos the Rise of Torgo. Are either of those good? Uh, no, mean? no, they're not going to be good. <laughs> I mean, that's not even a fair like bar to put. I mean, um, look, in front people, of them. people could argue like it could be it could be like that Suspiria thing. There are a lot of people that argue the first Suspiria isn't that great of a movie, but the second one, the, the remake is great. You know what I mean? I thought maybe it could have been one of those. Well, the, but it's made on like an equivalent budget oh, to it? what they were making. <laughs> they're like, Hold on, Brendan, I, I, I saw you had a fire opinion about. Oh, that's not me. Say, I love Suspiria. That's not me. I love. Oh, Suspiria. no, I, I was going to just say i watched the trailer from monos returns earlier today and uh you know the master it's the same guy playing the master but he looks like ron jeremy <laughs> sweet <laughs> oh wait did he, swear. Like, did he like a bit like pudge out oh yeah the, yeah oh okay i mean you know he was an aging man that makes sense but like wow that's i want to watch that now yeah. I guess. yeah oh yeah just look up a picture or something but yeah he was 31 when he made uh this one 
hands of fate. He was, so, he was a child still. <laughs> I say as a 20 year rocking that year old. sweet Tom Selleck mustache. He does have a fucking sweet stash. Yeah, yeah. he does. He does. And like a real like uh <laughs> He looks like John Stossel. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like a hell of like an intense stare, I have to say. Like mm. his Oh yeah, yeah. As as like a villain, yeah. a horror movie, it works. He's got the facial expressions down. Yeah, but so I don't he think is, we, he is the best thing about this movie. I don't think we said this. So Jackie Naaman Jones, who we, we interviewed, was the, the little girl in this. Uh, and you may know her from sitting on a couch for 45 minutes <laughs> of the fucking movie. <laughs> that, was, that was the one note. That was the one note or, or question that Lewis you had prepared in the interview that you didn't get to ask her if she if she had any fond memories of that couch. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I really regret not asking her. It that. did not look like a comfortable couch. It didn't, but she no. seemed to love it. <laughs> Looked scratchy. <laughs> this the Torgo character. Now, I read this and I don't know if this is a justification after the fact or not, but it said that his knees are disjointed and he walks like that because he's a, a satyr, supposed to be a satyr, you know, oh, like a, a half he? goat kind of thing. That's why he has like super long uh, hair coming out of his eyebrows and stuff. I don't know if that's they couldn't afford prosthetics. But yeah, there's a whole thing there on, I don't know if it's on Wikipedia or what, but where the actor Reynolds, his last name, who plays Torgo and I think... Another member of the cast. Anyway, they designed like a set of some kind of prosthetic thing to go around his knees. Um, really? So, which there's an urban legend around this. I'll, I'll mention this very briefly, too. But uh, the actor who plays Torgo killed himself that same year, like not long after production ended, I don't think. They said that he struggled with depression, but there's an urban legend that says that because of the apparatus around his knees, uh, it caused him a lot of pain. And he was he started taking painkillers and got addicted to them. And that's why. But Jackie in interviews has uh, disputed that. I see. So he killed himself the year the Torgo spinoff came out or. Uh, no, the year that Hands of Fate came out. Oh, so who's playing Torgo in this? And uh, oh, it's a different. That's a different actor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Guys, if you could cast modern day Torgo, <laughs> who do you who do you want to play Torgo? I want you. Willem Dafoe. Me. It's me. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. You could say that for any character. You could play anything. Yeah. Man's a goddamn chameleon. Yeah. All right. So this also this game had a, a game released for iOS. It was like an 8-bit Nintendo inspired uh, game. I, I'm just I'm just going to say that is the most Reddit thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? An 8-bit iOS game for a cult movie from the 60s that nobody gives a shit about. What People, the that's the they, thing. They give a we shit. We don't give a shit about it. People do. Like Reddit loves this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Misties, man. Like uh, she was, she was talking about in the interview, like just talking about like how much that fan base has really rallied around and how it kind of like got her out there and got her uh, in front of audiences and stuff promoting it. Like that people have reverence for this for yeah. being a god awful, unwatchable movie. What a life! <laughs> and I will say, I think I've we brought this up a little earlier in comparison to the types of movies that would normally be watched for this show or that stuff that me and you, Lewis, had to watch for RMR. This being like the worst movie of all time. It's like I feel like no. people who didn't see any of those movies would say that because it's like compared to some of the shit like you said, Wicked World or like it's, it's basically on the same level. Like Wicked there needs World to be is a, so much worse. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a distinction between bad and boring. There needs mm. to be a distinction because this, this movie is both. is both, but it's more airs on. I feel like it's a it's mm. a scale. It's like mm -hmm. a spectrum. This airs more on the side of boring. Yeah, yeah. I can also a say a good movie, a, a a movie that's like bad but fun to watch, like something like I don't know, 
before it got really like, big, like the room. Tammy before we saw it a million like, times, uh, Tammy yeah. and the T-Rex. Mm-hmm. That is on the other side of the scale. That is not boring, but it's just really, really bad. Yeah. So it's funny to watch. But uh, and all that are in the middle. And I mean, I'll also just say, like, in comparison to some other like gory picture show movies, I'm like, at least this doesn't have like you know half hour long rape and torture scenes or incest or necrophilia or anything like I'm that. Just saying, a little necrophilia might have spiced things up. Yeah, yeah might have might have, might have, might have drew me in for uh, for a bit longer. This I think, or a bloody cum shot like yeah. necromantic had. <laughs> oh yeah, that should have brought out the band-aid. bingo card. <laughs> Bloody cum shot. Bloody cum shot. <laughs> we make thrash metal. All right. <laughs> so, so we're gonna wrap up a little bit more. I got some more, uh, some other like aside from mystery science theater, which we already brought up as like you know its main claim to fame in the pop culture references. Lewis, you brought up the episode of How I Met Your Mother that uh, Manos plays into. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, the episode in which. Uh, Ted, played by Josh Radnor, finally woos Stella, played by Sarah Chalk from it's the, Scrubs. It's the he, first episode that she's in, too, which is like the first episode. He's like, it's my mission. I have to yeah. get her. It's like, dude, he does full on creepy Ted stuff. And he's like, I'm going to do it. She's always coming. She's like, I can't date. I have a daughter. I live in New Jersey. I work in Manhattan. I'm a doctor. I have two minutes every day. I can't date my patients. How about that? And he's just like, nah, you can still. You, how about we still he make He wasn't work? her patient when he asked her. We're, we're not getting into this. <laughs> she said, I only have two minutes every day to myself. So he said, OK, I'm going to take on a two minute date and they go and he takes her to see uh, outside, like in a display uh, window watching uh, about like a super cut of like five seconds. seconds. Yeah, maybe not even. Yeah, you're right. Like maybe 15 seconds of Manos just cut down. He's like, see, it's the worst movie ever made. And that's that's mainly how I knew Mono. So so what, what's the better reference? Uh, Manos in uh, How Much Your Mother or uh, uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space in Seinfeld? What's what's the better? Well, they reference? don't even we don't even get to see them watch Plan 9 in Seinfeld. So but they t- they say it multiple times. <laughs> well, it's they, Plan 9. <laughs> Plan 9 from Outer Space is also a way more entertaining movie to watch. Yeah. Well, this is what uh, while we're getting off, we like to ask our poll question while we're getting off. Well, uh, <laughs> I love getting off yeah. on the podcast. You know, what? I might as well all jacking it right now. Good old bloody cum shot. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, we're getting into the poll question now. Before I ask this week's poll question, I'm going to go to the poll question that we had for the last episode for the Hunchback of Notre Dame. We asked, what is a movie as a kid that traumatized you or scared you or like a kid friendly movie that has some particularly scary scenes that that uh, made you have a negative af- af- affection for the movie. Do you guys have any answers for that? I wasn't a little pussy. No, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any. Uh, I, I, I was afraid of a, a short that played after um, Nightmare Before Christmas on VHS called Vincent. Uh, oh, Vincent. Uh, oh, yeah, Vincent's yeah, great. Yeah. Vincent's a real good short film, though. Yeah. I've really grown to like it. Yeah, Vin- I like Vincent a lot. My pick would be Return to Oz. Oh, with the, oh with, yeah. the, with the what were the what were the dudes called with the way they called wheelers? Is that what yeah, the wheelers? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are freaky. Yeah. All right, so we got a couple of responses. Uh, for, we got responses from Twitter and from uh, on Instagram. I asked the question too. So on Twitter, I asked, and we got some responses. Uh, we got one from uh, Matthew Payne who says, "When I was really little, and I mean like under five, I was afraid of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because of the abominable snowman." Oh no, uh, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Uh Cameron says Mrs. Trunchbull from Matilda. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. that makes sense. Someone said mm-hmm. Harry Lincoln said my family saw the haunted mansion when I was younger. <sighs> I was scared I had to leave the theater multiple multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> the Eddie Murphy movie? 
Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the only movie I know of. I mean, hey, listen, everybody has uh, the movies that scared you. And then on Instagram, we got a couple of responses. We got from uh, Jesse Horowitz. He says, uh, not a movie, but Fringe. And I mean, I've never seen the show, but I also imagine it's not kid friendly. So I can understand why that might not be, you know, yeah. a movie. For- yeah. But anyway, and then a response that I I love. My uh, our friend Andy Werner says, uh, I thought the aliens from the Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius movie would ascend from underneath my bed. <laughs> <laughs> the Yokians. Well, you know what? There was uh, King Ramsey from that episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog. Did really fuck me up when I was a kid. That was the Return the Slab. The Return the Slab yeah. guy. Yeah, that shit was creepy. Was, it was just the mismatched yeah. animation that like really unsettled me, I think. I think for me it was, uh, if I had to pick a Courage villain, it was the, uh, what's his face? He's like a cousin with the with the razor. Freaky Fred. Freaky Fred. Sweeney Todd guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know what else is weird in Courage? That, that one where the tree is just like, you know, like move live action lips on yeah. like, a tree. That's a weird Courage movie. in the big stinking city. There's that one stop motion animation. Yes. Bit that's horrifying. Yes. Yeah. I remember that, that was one. so fucking Dude, good. Dude, Manos could have been a fucking Courage villain. Would have been better. Yeah. Would have been better. I'm just, that's the kind of thing that Courage would do, honestly. Yeah, like, yeah. Dude, I want, I'm just picturing Courage trying to explain Manos to Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> just transforming into dun, a dun, cloak dun, with hands dun, on it. Dun, 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 all right, so now that leads us into this week's poll question, which is we want to ask, what is the worst movie ever made? And it's Wicked World. It's Wicked World. <laughs> no, it, it, I, there's no, it's it's the worst. Now we, do we want to <laughs> anyone can tell me a worse movie. I, I will be shocked. And I honestly, I won't believe you. Honestly, I'm going to say it. Ready Player One might have been well, one of the worst movies okay. I've ever seen. I mean, I mean, I, I one I, of the worst. I respect the audacity, but like <laughs> I was thinking of something more along the line, like something that would like, you know, be on the like that has a budget and it like has like things. OK, or so you're looking so you're, okay, or right. that thing you made us watch at the end of your marathon. Oh, killing spree. <laughs> oh, I mean, Free Jack was horrible. Free, Free Jack, Jack was, was bad. Have you ever seen Free Jack? No. Oh, Brent. it's a movie with. That he made us watch Emilio Estevez, Anthony Hopkins, and Mick Jagger. (laughs) Mick Jagger's the villain. It takes place in the year 2009. The dystopian far off future of 2009 where we're in like Mad Max dilapidated escape from New York cities. And Anthony Hopkins wants to steal Emilio Estevez's brain and put it inside the robot chef. (laughs) Uh, He wants to switch bodies with Emilio Estevez so he could stay young. It's the dumbest fucking thing ever. I think the last 30 minutes I was playing spider solitaire on my phone. (laughs) It was was disgustingly bad. Um, I guess if I had to answer this um it was the only movie that i ever felt like so ashamed that i actually watched it that i didn't even put it on my letterboxd and it was because my friend grayson who he was on our episode of pirates of the caribbean uh he makes me we watch some god-awful shit together and we like making fun of uh, you know of bad political movies oh, and man. one of them was dinesh d'souza's the death yeah. of a nation oh. honestly like i felt i felt evil for watching it tell me like, you at least pirated it you oh of course i mean yeah okay, but good <laughs> And I was like, I can't believe. And he actually. I thought you were going to say Bullworth for a second. No, that's. I mean, it's <laughs> a bad movie too. But yeah, it's not evil. Brandon, like Death of a Nation is evil. Like this filmmaker yeah. needs is like yeah. You know, he's a piece it's, of shit. It's a movie yeah. equivalent of a fucking Daily Caller YouTube video. Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what did you say, Louis? What's uh, what's the worst movie you ever seen, Brandon? I think uh, honestly, I'd have to say Wicked World was one of the worst. It's we're not exaggerating. It's also it probably painful. the worst episode of our show. 
like like because it broke us like that's also why i think it's kind of fun it's kind of entertaining to listen yeah. to but yeah i enjoyed that episode i think we we had a lot of fun talking about it and and making fun of it and just trying to wrap our heads around why it's so bad and like why it's why it has like a, like a you, pretty substantial yeah. uh, physical media release Wait, you keep <laughs> saying wicked world and there used to be <laughs> there used to be a bar where was it the wicked wolf where the hell was that yeah. oh yeah the bronx right <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> I just that, think of the wicked wolf my uh, troll 2 isn't this bad no, no i lo- or, i love troll yeah. 2 i've seen that yeah, movie, yeah, I've, movie. Seen yeah. I've seen it's it watchable. Like it times. looks like a movie yeah. <laughs> it looks like a movie yeah exactly the big even, differentiator even the suckling is better than this the suckling is so much better than this oh my yeah. god <laughs> oh but anyway so now that we're uh we got that question out of the way uh, let us know what is the worst movie you've ever seen write to us on twitter or instagram and we will read it on the next show as we're closing out rating for the movie out of 10 and for the marketing out of 10 zero for both. i feel yeah i feel like this is very obvious for all at least like a one <laughs> if we if we don't count zeros then like they're all they're both ones like i remember the first time we watched this me and lewis and Cilio watched this movie and we were like i was i was like yeah this was bad i guess but i don't know it was an hour it wasn't too taxing it felt like three but then when i watched it again with lewis and with the mystery science theater i was i really felt i'm like man this one this time it feels really draining and we don't even and even the buffer of mystery science theater guys didn't riffing help, over it man. didn't were help you, were you intoxicated when you watched no, it the second stone, time see some cold sober i think see the first time uh, we watched we were intoxicated i think that helped a little that bit that did help a little bit you know i i remember just watching that mst3k episode with you mike and just like the whole time staring at my collection of movies next to the tv i was like we could be watching any one of these <laughs> any one of these movies that i would be enjoying and, way more. and it's not even like we really needed to watch that no. episode for research on this because it's like i said they had like maybe like two or three good jokes and it was just watching and the movie again fault. like I, I i don't think really what was significant about that episode was that like they did such a good job riffing on it and they they do a much better job with other movies what was significant about the episode is that it just like revealed this movie to the world and it's like oh this exists that's insane like that this movie has even ever been made yeah in like, a pre-internet world i mean yeah exactly like that that that's a moment uh but uh brendan you watched the riff tracks today right i did i watched the riff tracks version and it's supposed to be all new jokes or all different jokes from yeah. the ones in the mst3k yeah i mean it's fun i mean it, it, i think that it was a little bit more tolerable to watch because one it's in front of a live audience and mm. you know you can kind of laugh along with them and the jokes were fine but yeah it's uh i think my favorite joke was they make a reference to the way torgo walks it's like uh like watching elaine bennis dance <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I've never seen a Rift Tracks. Is it the same crew as Mystery Science Theater? Yeah. 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 It's the same okay. Bill Corbett. And I forgot the other two guys. But, but yeah, they just they'll, they'll play the movie in the theater and and they'll just do the riffing live. Oh, OK. Um, you can watch that on on Tubi. Like there's a bunch of different Tubi. free free Rift Tracks. I think on man, Prime as well. Tubi Those are a lot of goaded, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they provided us. You can watch uh, Man of the Hands of Fate on Tubi if you. Yeah, don't. which we wind up doing. And for some reason, the Blu-ray didn't work <laughs> it wasn't my blu-ray it was mike's blu-ray player i mean there was no sound so we're like we we the best part was for the first like two minutes we're sitting there like is there sound during the opening credits i don't know yeah and we're just sitting there we're not sure until someone opens their mouth and there's nothing coming out it would it would have been a big tip off if we knew that the sound should have been was just <laughs> maybe, maybe it was better watching it without sound. We should just watch it with subtitles. <laughs> watch it like a, like in black and white and as a silent movie. This would have been a 
this would have been a cool silent movie like Haxon or something like that. Yeah, it could have been cool. Yeah, an, I, don't think, I don't think not watching, having audio would have been a blessing watching this. <laughs> I don't know. Also, you get you have to hear or you have to listen to like the same three or four people dubbing all the characters. Oh, yeah, that is rough. I guess. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if we asked this, but I don't think Jackie's voice is actually in the film oh it's not it's a middle-aged woman yeah 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 love it uh speaking of which yeah i guess we're gonna throw you over to our interview with jackie Naaman jones in just a moment but before we do that i guess let's plug it up guys all right uh you could find cinemarketing on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to podcasts uh on twitter we are at cinemarket pod on instagram cinemarketing podcast uh keep up with the stories on instagram because that's where we'll ask the questions and that's where we'll release the materials that we're going to be talking about on the episode on Twitter where I ask questions and I'll play clips of stuff that we're going to be doing episodes on. Follow us there. Keep us uh, keep keep me on Twitter uh, after the Elon Musk buyout for some reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at gory underscore show. Uh, get all the updates there. We do tease the movies that we're covering ahead of time. It's been a while since we've posted. We did record a whole episode that went nowhere, um, <laughs> which was a big bummer. But hopefully we'll have James Dean back soon to to do a, another, maybe even a better. It was a good episode of the show, too. Was it was fun. a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking bummer. Just lost. It was, time. Yeah, but it was fun. It was it a was, fun yeah, conversation. We had a good time. We love hanging out with James Dean, so we'll never complain about that. Um, and you can find me personally on Twitter at Louis J O tarot and on instagram at blood guts and lewis also i co-wrote a film called fountain and the vengeful nun who wouldn't die you can watch it on tubi you can buy it online just go to twitter uh look at maniac underscore nun there's a blu-ray for it that's amazing blu-ray it's behind me Uh, and i'm very proud of it and james dean did a great job and he's working on another feature right now that i'm not involved in but sounds really really cool and i'm very very excited for him so be sure to keep up to date on what uh monster kid productions is doing yeah tubi really is slowly becoming the official streaming service of both cinema marketing and gory picture show it's better than netflix it is a better streaming service than netflix and they'll probably have a much longer lifespan probably yeah gotta love tubi all right. Well, that does it for this part of our show. We'll throw you over to our respective interviews, uh, depending on which feed you're listening to. If you're listening to it on the Gory Picture Show, you'll have Lewis and Brandon's interview. If you're listening to it on Cinema Marketing, you'll listen to my interview. And thanks for listening. And uh, stay tuned for the interviews coming up. All right. Thank you. You're going to listen to an interview now. In case we didn't make that clear, we are throwing to an interview with a person. It's it's a person asking questions to another person. We call it an interview. <laughs> the boys at R and D just came up with this. <laughs> this is gonna be big, guys. And now, welcome to the interview portion of this Cinemarketing episode on Manos: The Hands of Fate. I'm Mike, and I am joined with our guest, Jackie Neiman Jones. Jackie, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jackie Naaman Jones. It says the uh, internet is unstable. It's just that kind of day, right? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, given the history of this movie, everything about it is pretty unstable. So I want to <laughs> talk to you about uh, your role in this film. So I want to get your experience working on this film uh, at the age you were. Like, what was going through your head? What did you think? What did, how was the day-to-day process of making this movie and what was, what was going through your mind when you were making this and, and all of that? Well, um, 
first of all, nobody had been making movies in El Paso, Texas in 1966. So there was no such thing as internet or video cameras or phones, you know, your carry around phones with cameras, nothing like mm -hmm. that. And so uh, this was a group of community theater people who were actually pretty talented. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they rented a camera and they bought some film and uh, did this film. So it happened in basically eight days, you know, nights and weekends, because everybody had a full time job. No, it, no one was getting paid. And um, my dad played the role of the master. My mother made the costumes. Well, she she made the master's robe the wives dresses and uh my dress but she made all my clothes so mm -hmm. and uh torgo's outfit with the hat and the coveralls uh those came from my dad's closet in fact strangely enough if you if you check into my new fan page the jackie Naaman jones fan page we just created that from the monos the hands of fate fan page you know consolidating everything because i do a lot more things in monos i'm a professional artist and uh i wrote a book i'm an author i i, I make movies i i do a lot of things so this is consolidating everything into one place not just for you all but for my add self i can find my stuff you know yeah, so Manos was, uh, it, it, it came together with this group of uh, community theater actors. And and it, so it was filmed in eight days, nights and weekends. So, you know, if you watch it, it's, it's I mean, it is really bad. But, mm -hmm. you know, the day for day shots, night, it was all mixed up mm -hmm. for necessity. You see, yeah. and then uh, th so they had this camera that was actually that they rented that was actually made for war footage of Vietnam and Korea, and it only had 32 seconds. It was a wind up camera, a film 070. And uh, 32 seconds shots and the lighting was basically uh, whatever they could come up with, you know, like car headlights. No, that's, that's really cool. No, though, like I, I know that we have like the reputation of the movie is that it's very bad, but the fact that you were uh, such like the small knit crew and you had like limited resources to be able to like cobble together like this scrappy little project, like it, it's it's something that is like an impressive feat to behold in and of itself. And uh, I, I don't know because the reputation of this movie it is like you see it all over the internet it's like widely considered like the worst or one of the worst movies ever made and i feel like for me and my podcast friends and even uh our friends lewis over at the gory picture show that you also did yeah. an interview with for them the amount of of actually like really bad low-grade movies and qualities of stuff that we have had to watch manos was actually like one of the less less strenuous movies honestly because it's yes it's 
it, it's you know very shoddily put together and it's like you know if if you're going from like watching hollywood mainstream movies that are like you know professionally made to this yeah it could look like a downgrade but when you look at the quality of like what movies on this scale were even like decades afterwards like this is at least a little bit more uh it's 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 a lot more fast paced it's a lot more uh i'd say a little bit more uh easily uh accessible to get into and i think that that might be one of the reasons why this of all movies that is being considered like so bad that it's it's still like able to go back to it it's very short it's very manageable even though it is uh like you know again very like amateur level like on a you know technical level it's still like there's still like a little bit of a charm to it as you see so i wanted you to ask like how how do you feel about how this movie's reputation over time has uh kind of defined it well personally i love it i mean i you know i was a teenager in the 70s and um my best friend and I in high school, we were big Firesign Theater fans. And that's back during, you know, we weren't even into eight. We were barely into eight tracks, <laughs> <laughs> much less cassettes or, you know, I mean, this is a long time ago. So we were into LPs and we got into Mystery or, um, Firesign Theater, who is very much like Mystery Science Theater, and and we, she and I, we memorized like every album. We made everybody crazy in high school because we we were riffing, you know, and we were riffing everything. And then, uh, you know, my dad. I'd been part of this film that my dad was in, my whole family was part of. I mean, the Doberman was our family dog, you know. All, my dad did all the art, all the props. My mother made the costumes. My great-grandmother's quilt was on the bed. So Monos, to me, was more like a family film than a, a horror film. And to most yeah. people, it's more of a horrible film than a horror film. And, you know, the truth is, it was so bad. It showed at the premiere, and it was so bad that they didn't show it again. And El Paso was such a tight-knit community in, in the arts and theater. And the, uh, the local <laughs> entertainment writers and everybody were really kind to not really talk about it and uh everybody who went into the theater with great expectation came out like it was like we'd all pulled off a heist and had to scatter you know and nobody pretty much ever talked about it after that but to me it was such a an amazing experience of being able to hang out with my dad and and uh, being part of this thing that i held on to it so it was 27 years before it came back. And when it did, I just cherished it, you know? I And and my dad was an MST fan at the time. And that's how our family discovered it was he was uh, taking a nap, you know, napping off and on on a Saturday afternoon. And... Um, 
watching Mystery Science Theater and he heard some familiar music and he opened his eyes and there he was, you know. So he called me, he says, you'll never believe what I just saw on television. <laughs> and that's how we rediscovered it 27 years later. And um, I honestly thought it would never come back into the world. So when it did, you know, I embrace it with my whole heart. And the Mystery Science Theater crowd, they're my people. You know, I, I relate to them it's it's the no, same kind of humor yeah no that's that's a, a gotta be a wild feeling that this uh yeah this movie that like you made when you were a kid didn't think much of it thought it kind of disappeared and then all of a sudden a show that you're already a fan of watching it and discovering that they are covering the movie that you're you were in uh i want to ask so what was life like between manos and the like more uh and the later in life resurgence of the movie via mystery science theater like oh well see that's another thing is that um so i wrote a book about manos it's called growing up with manos the hands of fate how i was a child star of the worst movie ever made and lived to tell the story and I'm proud to say, although Manos is like zero or one on Rotten Tomatoes, my book is four and a half stars in Amazon. <laughs> and that's where the real success comes. Yeah. And that's where the real yeah. success story comes from. Yeah. yeah and the behind I the scenes story and, and, and what people mm. can relate to. Uh, and I don't go a whole lot into my book is mostly about behind the scenes of the set, but things that happened afterwards. But really, Manos to me is um, my dad. And my dad was suicidal when I was growing up. And a lot of people know that John Reynolds, who played Torgo, committed suicide before the film even premiered in the theater and although i was only six years old when that happened i already had i knew there was something going on with my dad i didn't know what it was and i don't even think he did at that point but that was kind of a precursor to future things and then uh as i grew up i was so attached to him i loved him uh, uh, you know he was an artist I'm so much like him, my art, the, my philosophies, a lot of things are very much, you know, inspired by my father. And, uh, so then this Manos thing came out and, uh, it, it brought us back together after a lot of years, you know, after a lot of darkness in our lives. And it just became this thing that, that we connected on and that we could do together. And like in the film, what, there's a line, I don't think the master would approve. <laughs> well, you know, when Manos came out and then I started uh, getting involved in events and going to uh, comic cons as a guest and I wrote my book and just connecting with fans through social media and I always love to tell people that, you know, when they talk about it, that on, on good authority, I can say that the master approves. 
he loved this. He loved it. I would go to cons and then we'd get together and I'd tell him about, I'd tell him stories about things or I'd, I'd always tell the fans that, that he approved, which he did. He, he had such a great sense of humor. I mean, when, when, when we did some commentary for, I can't remember, honestly, it was Monos Returns, my film, or if it was for the restoration of Monos, but, but we've done some uh, interviews and things together. <laughs> I remember when he and I watched it together for the first time in 50 years and we're sitting and he just goes, Oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like watching like your old high school plays or something yeah, like that but, yeah yeah no the, the, yeah the, the embarrassing or or like when your mom takes a picture of you at the prom and the you know mm. with your date on the way to the prom yeah. in the 70s with the flip you know i mean yeah. Like no yeah but no that's <laughs> a really that that is a, a a beautiful story of how this like has you know brought you and your family closer like this family story uh between you two and also how like the the fan base there's like a fan base that is responded to it because i know that like on the internet like the culture around bad movies a lot of it can be very mean-spirited and hateful a lot of the yeah. time and it and it seems see. as though Manos has a little bit more of like a a, a loving cult, but I, I want to uh, know: is there has there any is there any sort of like n negativity that you've had to in endure or encounter like throughout like the notoriety of this movie? Yeah, um, not really much. I mean, you know, there's a lot of fan. Um, somebody's trying to call me. It's my daughter in law. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's been a you know, there's a lot of fan pages uh for Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks and uh you know, every now and again there's a few that I just decide not to connect with because mm -hmm. they're a little snarky. But all in all, you know, the mystery science community is such a loving, embracing uh community and and I think what they get out of Manos is that the thing that we all relate to is that that Manos people see the intention behind it. It was inept. It's taught and it's been taught in film classes as everything not to do in filmmaking. And um I think people love it because it, it had that intention and and that honesty about it and and that's something that we can all relate to and I don't know I just find the people to be amazingly compassionate, creative, intelligent, nerdy. I mean the the list of projects that have been inspired by this terrible movie is astounding i mean there's been four different stage productions there's trading cards video games uh what else coloring books yeah. uh somebody just asked me to write it forward to his reimagined novel of manos i'm looking at maybe doing a documentary about all these projects that's no, it, that 
yeah that's my next that's, project actually <laughs> that sounds no that sounds like a really interesting get and i want to actually uh follow up with that because the main concept of our show cinema marketing is about like the marketing of movies and how movies are marketed and like the materials that are used and like the spin-off products that are <clears throat> meant to tie into it and this okay, movie is yeah. a very yeah yeah so this is a very interesting movie to do that with because doing research on the history of this movie i could not find a lot of information about the movie being marketed like at the time because i go on youtube and look up like a official trailers and it doesn't seem like there were any that were made and a lot of the um, reviews from the time are kind of lost and a lot of the reviews on rotten tomatoes are like from current day so i want to know like how in 1966 were you able to were was your was the production able to like get the word out about this movie uh like at the time and then how did that change uh later on once it like had its resurgence <laughs> good story um so hal warren who who wrote directed uh produced it and starred in it as the father mike and I always like to point out, and a lot of other people have as well, that he wrote the worst, most unsympathetic character for himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, the father in Manos, hmm. he leads his family into, uh, yeah, anyway, watch yeah. the movie <laughs> if you can. Yeah. But um, so Hal Warren was a salesman, first of all. And he was in community theater and he knew my dad and he knew uh, everybody else. I mean, uh, he found everybody he needed in the male actors from uh, one play that was going on at the local community theater. And uh, he was a salesman by trade. He had sold cars. He was sold fertilizer he sold insurance he sold a lot of things so <clears throat> he wrote this script and he decided he was going to make a film and got all these people together and then uh after filming for the premiere he um whew, man he knew how to get people involved mm -hmm. i mean he made this whole thing on like nineteen thousand dollars and in 1966 that translated to about 150,000 dollars in 2020. Wow. But yeah, so so I feel but like then, a lot of the market Oh wait, oh what was that? Not yeah, not much money, but yeah. so then so the premiere, so the premiere November 15th, 1966, and you have to understand it was filmed like in 8 uh you know night days nights and weekends <clears throat> and um so he had worked with a local car dealership he borrowed the lights that scan the sky you know the big head you know the lights at the car dealer mm -hmm. to get people yep. to come to the sale he borrowed some of those and he found a red carpet somewhere he had he convinced all the cast and crew to like really dress up and this is the 60s 
So the women were, were wearing these beautiful gowns and opera gloves. My mom and I, to me, a six-year-old, seven-year-old at that time, it felt like we spent the whole day in the beauty parlor. My hair was perfect. Hers was perfect. The men all had tuxedos. Uh, the sheriff was there. Hal had invited everybody who was anybody. I mean, this was an 850-seat theater, and it was filled. He got everybody there. This was the big thing. First film in El Paso. Hal was going to open the Southwest to the film industry. That was his intention. He knew it wasn't a good movie, but that wasn't really his uh, end play. So we all showed up and nobody, nobody had seen it beforehand. So we really didn't know what to expect. Everybody who had been part of it knew it wasn't going to be a good movie. <laughs> I mean, the, the crew during filming got so frustrated, they called, they started calling it um, mangoes, the cans of fruit, for one thing. And they <laughs> planted little things. So if you watch Monos, especially the restoration very closely, you'll see some things that the, the crew planted to test Hal's powers of observation, like a beer mm -hmm. bottle, you know? in the background yeah. uh, was supposed to be there uh so so we all show at the theater how uh had the lights going and we're in downtown el paso is like half a mile from the mexican border in Juarez, mexico and how hired the little street kids that that wash window you know, windshields and sell mm. in the 60s, they sell cigarettes on the streets to provide for their families. So he gave these little kids like little pads and the pencils. And I don't know what he paid them. But so I even have pictures, these little Mexican street kids asking for their the autograph seekers. Yeah. <laughs> they no, don't they don't speak English and the cast and crew don't speak Spanish, you know. And then how also rented one limo and had it park, uh, had all the cast and crew show up and uh, hang out behind the theater in the alleyway. And the limo came around, picked people up and dropped them off. And, you know, it was just ridiculous. Uh, the sheriff's son remembers going into the theater and the actual sheriff giving him a honorary sheriff's badge because they'd use the sheriff's car in the film and, uh, and, uni you know, badges and, uh, and then wondering why his dad was grabbing him and dragging him out of the theater as quickly as possible afterwards. I, I mean, everybody just got the hell out of there. So it was not. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's, that's, that's a, it is an interesting way of marketing a movie. It's not like the traditional way you think now where it's like you'd you'd put up trailers or posters or like that, but it's more of like going like like door to door salesmen like on the ground, like yes. trying to like get the word out, like the local word on out the ground. to get people into the theater. No, so that's so that is an interesting angle. You mentioned other uh other materials, other promotional uh, uh 
things that have come out uh relating to manos you said that there were uh video games and uh and like other like sequels and stuff so i wanted to uh, talk about some of the other uh those other uh like spin-offs and stuff for manos yeah i mean there's like uh manos uh the hands of felt which is a uh puppet theatrical production in from seattle washington that, and yeah, uh, that, rachel that sounds... jackson actually who created that it, it's brilliant but um through through many of these things i've met the most amazing people and collaborated on other projects and rachel jackson who create who created hands monos hands of felt and runs her puppet theater up in Seattle, she actually became, uh, she was a writer and one of the producers and she was in Manos Returns, my sequel to Manos. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there's, like I said, there's four stage productions. One of them is a rock opera <laughs> uh, from Chicago, uh, Manos, the rock opera of fate. And I never met those people in person, but we became friends because of social media. And, um, oh, yeah, there was a stage production in Portland, Oregon. And I live just an hour and a half from there. And they did a stage production that was hilarious. And they, I found out about them. I connected with them and they were so excited. They invited me. So in the original film, you know, because of the camera, it was shot silent. So it was all dubbed. And I was humiliated at the, at the premiere because this middle-aged woman's voice came out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So in the stage production, what was that in 2000? 14, I believe it was. Anyway, when they found out I lived so close, they invited me to be part of it. And they had written it already that my part was played by a doll and was going to be voiced from offstage by an adult. <laughs> and when they found out I existed, <laughs> I was invited up and I got to do my own voice from the sound booth. <laughs> so I got retribution. That that's that's like a great like re return story like coming back to the yeah, prominence with the role like reprising a role um but yeah no i think that all of these things they really like like stage productions like you said like a puppet show like these are all things that feel like they would be perfectly suited for yeah. this product for this movie specifically because the movie itself is is very theatrical and like you said like it it has like its roots in community theater and you can tell yeah. that in like the acting and the costumes and the sets and all of that so it's something that very well, easily could translate to stage yeah, yeah and then there's also in the last couple of years has been uh trading cards there's a guy, Richard Parks, who does trading cars for pop culture things, and he gets professional artists, and I'm an artist, so he did a Manos and Hands of Fate trading card series, and I was invited to participate, so some of my art, I did, I think, six pieces for it. Uh, so you made some of the art work. on the trading cards? <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, uh, 
No, that's okay. Good. That's uh, no, that's really uh, that's cool as well. Um, and um, so uh, I want to ask you: Is there what else is on the horizon as far as both your career outside of Manos and anything else um, in the in the Manos cinematic universe? <laughs> A lot. You know what I have found. So when. My dad called me on that day in January 1993 after I thought the film was gone forever. I mean, after the premiere, it showed in a few West Texas drive-ins. It was like the third movie of Horror Night to get people to go home. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it was that kind of film. And it it really didn't show anywhere. And I didn't hear about it until my dad told me. And then it just it took off and, and I got, it was on comedy central. I called them and I talked to this guy about this film and I asked him if there's any way I could get a copy. And that's when I first discovered that anybody even knew about it. When he said, Oh my God, are you Debbie? <laughs> <laughs> and that was from, you know, the HBO offices in Manhattan. So I still have that VHS bootleg copy that guy sent me. I watched it by myself in my bedroom. I was married. I had a young son. And I was happy. I thought I was satisfied. That's all I wanted. And uh, then it started taking off. It was, it became the fan favorite. It won the Turkey Day Awards at MST. I got to meet Joel. He wrote the forward to my book. I've met Frank and Trace. I was on their show in December because uh, they did their Christmas special uh, for Monos. And they invited me to be their special guest for Q&A. And that just was amazing. That blew up because of that. The guy, Chris Gerbech, who uh, produces their online show and Mary Jo Peel's show. Um, I asked him if he would, if he would work with me for some uh, painting classes because I've been teaching, I'm an artist. I've been teaching the paint and sip parties at bars and restaurants for like, mm seven years and then COVID hit. So I started thinking about online and I put it out there to the MST community. How about if I do some online mystery science theater related paintings? And they seemed receptive. And anyway, so now Chris and I have, um, we're working together where um, we just put it out there. It's on dumb industries. <laughs> D-U-M-B dash industries. If you look that up, I'm right there on the homepage. But besides doing the monthly, um, the Mads are back show and the Mary Jo Peel show. Now he's hosting my mystery science theater related painting classes. And that's starting the third uh, Saturday of this month. And uh, I'm already getting subscribers. We just we just opened it for subscriptions. Like, so if you want to, if 
you can do one month class with me or you can do a year subscription and we're going to do once a month painting classes online and the very first one is i'm recreating my dad's painting of uh the master and dog and we're going to be painting <laughs> that together <laughs> so that's that's the that's the newest thing but then if you look up on youtube um i'm working on a web series called the monos chronicles and the uh the trailer is out there we're looking for a distributor but hoping for it to be a series we've already filmed the pilot episode and i'm really excited about it it's a great story it's 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 uh, Debbie escapes the Valley Lodge and has been in hiding for 50 years. And now she's going out there in the world and teaming up with other to uh, to battle evil in the world. Yeah, and then, of uh, course, Sarah there's Connor. Monos. Yeah. And then there's Monos Returns, which I produced and starred in a few years ago. And that's a whole nother universe of Debbie. If Debbie was kept by the valley lodge and now she becomes the master and my dad was still living so he's in it and we found diane marie who played my mother in the original she's in it and we got her for a little piece of uh the monos chronicles so we really do have a family we've created this family and community and although I, I'm pretty much one of the last living people because I was six years old at the time mm -hmm. and it was 1966, but um, my book, you know, we have um, we've connected people as much as we mm -hmm. possibly can and families. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically when I asked the question of like, what was like the marketing and then the resurgence and what has kept the word of this movie going the basically the short answer is just you like you going <laughs> oh, out there persisting making all of these other like web series and sequels and all this other side projects art projects about it so it's basically really showing just like how much of just the persistence of one person can keep this thing alive and going <laughs> when it should have been forgotten decades ago and you really yeah. well you know yeah. i mean i'm i'm an artist and i'm uh you know in in current terms uh add <laughs> mm. you know it, it's like somebody says something like oh that's a good idea i go in so many directions and i work best i i work well with others and because of monos uh i find all these people just come together and and right now i have this amazing team of people that we're collaborating and uh amazing things are happening i'm very accountable when i have somebody to be accountable to you know i'm a great per person to work with i just get too scattered when i'm all by myself and so it's because of the community this is happening. Yeah, I might be the the spearhead, but there's no way I could do this by myself. And the MST community and the people, they just, they feed my soul and my spirit. And um, 
Yeah, I love it. I just love it. I think, yeah, I think I was born for this. <laughs> but but it's really not all about me, that's for sure. Now, that's you have a really great story of like your own personal journey, but also the, you know, the 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 story of the journey of the entire fan base and the franchise and all that and you uh provided us with a lot of great insights and history and uh i can't thank you enough for joining uh i feel like we're gonna wrap up soon but i want you just one more time uh just give out any of your your social media links any of the other projects that you want to promote just uh let us know where you can find all of that you know, uh, yeah, and this is the great thing. Now I have, if, if you look on Facebook, even if you're not on Facebook, but, um, well, for one thing, hashtag Jackie Naaman Jones, and that's uh, Jackie with an E-Y and Naaman, N-E-Y-M-A-N, and you know how to spell Jones. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> And you can find most anything there that I'm really trying to focus everything there. But the other thing is uh, my new Facebook fan page, Jackie Naaman Jones fan page. That's where we're channeling everything so that people can find all the things I do, including my art, because I have an Etsy store. I'm... I've been a professional artist all my life. I'm starting to do uh, gallery shows and things, you know, that are not monos related. So I would really love if people came there and then they can just see everything. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, no, that sounds really great. I'm very excited to see like the future of whatever you have in store left for us, manos or not. And it seems like you've got a great, uh, support community and all of that and uh and uh, and i know i'm certainly i'm probably going to end up buying the book that you wrote about it because i i really like to dig into like reading the history of uh, behind the scenes stuff like that so that sounds really uh, uh yeah. interesting to read um and that so one um i just want to say it you can get it on amazon or kindle on amazon but if you want an autographed copy of and personalize and i'll you know i'll write anything you want in there <laughs> oh yeah. almost yeah. <laughs> but uh that's on my etsy store etsy. all right Jackie's I... Monos. all right i think that sounds like the option i might have to go for uh <laughs> so, so just just even just as a as an even more extended thank you for joining us on this show and uh, i hope that well, uh, once the audience listens to this, they'll uh, enjoy it as well. Uh, thank you again, Jackie Neiman Jones, for joining us on Cinema Marketing to talk about Manos, the Hands of Fate, and uh, listen to uh, the full episode that we're going to do on this movie, which I will insert the in interview for. Uh, I will insert the interview that we did into that episode as well. So. Uh, thank you again for listening. Thanks for joining and uh, take care. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. Thanks, Mike.